It's great to be sharing with you this morning. We are looking at this subject around climate change and how we want to respond and what it is to have care for our creation and to be good stewards of what God's given us. And I'm aware as we engage with this, there's a whole range of responses and emotions. Some of us are thinking, finally, we're talking about this vitally important discussion, this dialogue. What does scripture say around this? And we're finally engaging with this. That's how some of us are feeling. Equally, some of us are thinking, is this a distraction? Is this unhelpful? Is this taking us away from our primary aim and call to share Jesus, to worship him, to glorify him? And I guess what we want to do is just to learn and grow together and look to God's word. We want to discover what is God saying to each of us. We're all learning and journeying this together. None of us have all the answers. And what we want to do is look to Jesus and look to his word. That is very much our desire. Anything else is unhelpful. Just what is God asking of us individually and as a church family? And equally as we discuss this, I'm aware that it's complex. I was thinking about it just this last week. I had to self-isolate. I had COVID and I was totally fine beyond being slightly bored, but I had COVID. And just thinking about all the waste that goes with that, all that packaging every time you do a lateral flow test. I'm sure many of you can empathize or sympathize with that, but it's complex because equally most of us, I think, want to see this COVID-19 situation come to an end. Or when we think about greenhouse gases and the impact on the environment, we realize that we could significantly shift climate change and respond to that by impacting the environment in that way. But actually, if we did that overnight, developing nations, their economies would fall apart, so it's not straightforward. Or meat-free Monday, or trying to be increasingly vegetarian. Me and my family do this some weeks better than other. I do like my meat slightly too much, to be honest, but we're trying, and I think that's a good thing to endeavor to do. But again, what's the impact on the farming industry? What's the impact on the economies there? So this stuff isn't straightforward at times, but we have to, I think, engage with this and determined to seek God's heart and his voice for us individually and as a church family. Nothing more, nothing less, looking to Jesus, looking to his word. What is it he wants to say to me this morning? What is it he wants to say to us? So I want to start by just praying for us as we open up this discussion this morning. Maybe you want to put out your hands actually as a sign of just being open to God's teaching you this morning. Father, we have all got so much to learn in so many areas of our lives. But this morning, all we desire is just that you would speak to us individually and as a church family. None of us can stand here and say we've got this nailed, we completely understand what you're asking of us. None of us can say that we are just the perfect stewards of your creation. But we just want to seek your heart and your voice for us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to open up God's word in a moment, but I just want to do a quick did you know. I was going to do a quiz, but... I thought my days as a youth worker are gone. So a couple of facts. The 915s after would completely challenge my facts, but I think they're very valid from the resources I use. So more food for thought, and Jeff Parry was very angry about my electricity fact, but there we go. The last question has actually got a, a prize, a reusable cotton bud. So you didn't think you are going to get one of those today. So one lucky winner this morning will walk off with a reusable cotton bud. So that's exciting for you. So recycling a single aluminium can apparently will save enough energy for three hours of electricity. 50% of food waste, this might not surprise you, is still edible when we throw away. So we could reuse 50% of our food waste. And here's one which I did some little research on. If 200 of us at Central did an extra day per week of meat-free this year, so this year if an extra 
200 of us did an extra day per week of not going, having meat on that particular day, it would apparently save 16,280 fish and the equivalent of 893 tennis courts of trees. Quite remarkable, isn't it? And this is the one that's going to wake you up and possibly earn you the prize of the year, this reusable cotton buds. If 200 of us at Central used reusable cotton buds rather than the ones we throw away, how many cotton buds would be saved? So I'm going to ask you to put your hands up. For those for 23,000, put your hand up. All right, guys, come on, play the game. 43,000. 63,000. 83,000. The correct answer is 83,000. And Lincoln, you reluctantly put your hand up first. So well done, Lincoln. Yeah, well, give him a clap. What? What? Okay, that is me this morning, and we're going to move on to some worship. No, that's great. But what we could do is we could get the 83,000 used cotton buds and pile them up the end of the year outside Central to see what we could have wasted. Anyway, but I think as we kind of open up Scripture in one moment, I think we need to recognize that we do need to do something. Bill Gates describes the impact on climate change as like the filling of a bathtub, and he says that the bathtub is gradually being filled up, and our desire is to slow down that filling or even to stop it overflowing. And he says, if we don't, it's going to be catastrophic. It's going to be devastating. We have to reduce the way this bathtub is being filling. And if we don't respond, if we don't engage, then it will overfall and it will cause devastating effects. So we're going to look to Genesis 1 this morning, which is such a foundational passage of Scripture. And just to warn you, we are going to look at quite a lengthy section of Scripture this morning, but I think it's right that we do this. So Genesis 1 and the beginning of Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the night day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing and according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate from the night. And then... And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the great light, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. 
And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across this vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the seas and every living thing with which the water teems and then moves about it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kinds. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and over wild animals, and over all the creatures and move along that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give each every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth was complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work and he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Shall I just go on and read the rest of the Bible? Would that be good to do? So this passage is rich poetry, and it's meant to be a description of what happened with creation and helping the kind of the people to understand how God created and why he created. And it's rich, it's beautiful language. And the first thing we see that God spoke creation into being out of nothingness, out of emptiness, this void he created, life he created, animals, creatures, birds, plants. And then we see that he was proud of it. He was proud of his creation. It was good. He looked at the birds, the plants, the seas, the animals, and he was proud. He created it good. First and foremost, we care for creation because God created it good, and he cares for creation. He loves his creation. He sees that it's good, and therefore we see that it's good. He loves it. He cares for his creation, and we too should love and care for his creation. And creation also leads us to worship. We don't lead, we don't worship creation, we worship the creator. But by looking at creation, looking at the marvelous goodness of God's creation, it leads us to worship. I'm sure many of us can think of times where we've seen mountains or rivers or sunsets or beautiful scenery and thought, wow, how was that made? That leads me to worship my creator, not the creation, but leads me to worship the creator. We look at the beautiful surroundings, we look at the animals, the plants, the bees, the birds, whatever it is, and it leads us to worship. Last week, as I said, I was in isolation, and I was doing some work in my bedroom because that was the only place I was allowed to go. And admittedly, I was getting slightly bored of being in my room the whole week, and I was looking at the sky and just blown away at how fast the sun was moving across the sky. Zach's laughing because I've mentioned it pretty much every day and probably getting slightly loopy through being isolating. But it was just amazing and to stop and pause and to see how incredible God's creation is that this sun goes around the earth, but it's, no it doesn't, I'll check that. <laughs> it doesn't, we go around the sun, okay, and that's important. 
Wow. Any scientists want to come and help me out here? But it's just remarkable, right, when we look at the sun and all its beauty and power and how it, if we're one fraction in any other direction, we would not be sustained. It's remarkable. And when we look at creation, one of the challenges has often been, well, why are we engaging with this? It's a new age thing. But way before it was a new age thing, from the outset of time, it was a worshipful thing. It was a, something that God created and thought was, it was good. When we look throughout scripture, time and time again, we see creation that leads us to worship. Time and time again, creation is used to help us worship, to help us engage with glorifying and worshiping and honoring God. Throughout history, you think about the Celtic Christians and the earth and the understanding of how they engage with creation was so fundamentally important to help them worship, to help them understand God, to help them understand their creator. First and foremost, we see that creation is good. And then we see that God created man very good, man and woman very good, the pinnacle of his creation. You, me, we are created very good. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. All those beings and all those plants and all those birds are beautiful and good, but we are very good. We are the pinnacle of the creation. Now this passage has led to a lot of debate over the years. There's People like Calvin in the 16th century who actually used this to basically say we can do what we want, we can justify any behavior because we are above creation and we can effectively do what we want. And I'm not sure that's particularly helpful. The other extreme is, well, we're all one and the same. Whether you're a dandelion or a seal or a dolphin, whatever it is, you're one and the same. I used to have a friend, he's now actually doing comedy on Netflix and BBC iPlayer. I'm sure I spurred him on, I imagine. And he's doing comedy, he's a professional comedian, and we used to have arguments because he was kind of loosely a Christian. He used to say, in his opinion, we're all one and the same. Whether you're a dandelion or a human, you're the same. I was like, really? So if you had to pick between me and a dandelion, it'd just be a flip of a coin, would it? Like, that just doesn't follow. Surely we recognize that we are above the rest of creation. We're the only part of creation created in God's image. We're beautifully loved. We're cared for, we're created in God's image, and that's important. But just pause there, we recognize that however you feel this morning, God created you as his child, his son, his daughter. He created you in his image. The image of God, the creator, is in you. The only part of creation that's made in his image. This foundational piece of scripture makes it quite clear that we are above the order of creation, and we are made in the image of God. He says, let us make God in our image, in the image of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we on earth embody the Creator. We bring his kingdom, his reign, his ways to the earth. God created man in his image, and we are above the rest of creation. But we're called to dominion, not domination. We're called to dominion, not domination. Now, dominion is not really a word we use, but it's about responsibility. It's about serving and honoring. It's about stewarding. It's about ruling. It's not about dominating. We're called to co-rule as we steward and lead the creation here on earth. We co-rule with God under his authority, of course, but we co-rule with him. We don't abuse creation. I've been absolutely fascinated in recent weeks by the documentaries around people like climbing these mountains in the Himalayas, etc. Anyone seen Maru? I think it was Eddie actually suggested that one to me. That was superb. Anyone seen The Last Mountain? Anyone seen that on BBC iPlayer? Cool. You're a fun lot, aren't you? Anyone seen 14 Peaks? Yes, that is an incredible film. Well worth watching. And these guys, they 
climb the 14 highest peaks in the world all over 8,000 meters. And it's never been done before. So it has been done before, but it took them seven years. And these guys set out the challenge of doing it in seven months. And they set out to climb these mountains, including K2, Everest, and to do it in seven months, a remarkable achievement. And their mental toughness, their heroism, their strength, their teamwork is just quite mind-blowing to watch it. And what's interesting as well, as you see it, percent of people who climb, 27% of people who climb K2 die and they still go for it. That is remarkable. And you see the challenges of them climbing these hills and these frozen bodies of people who haven't yet made it. And I think it's an illustration of when we try and play God, when we try and step into God's shoes and when we think we are bigger than creation, then it, it's a destined to fail. We serve God and honor his creation. Yes, we're above creation, but we're not called to dominate. We are still stewards under the rule and authority of God. And interestingly, in the Hebrew scriptures, there's no word for nature. And this is important because we've decided that there's us, there's God, and there's nature. And there's a difference between us and nature. But in this language, in this culture, there's an understanding that the whole cosmos, the whole universe, is under rule and reign and authority of God. And we have a responsibility and a privilege within that, but we're all accountable to God. You see, it's all about him. It's all about his reign, his kingdom, his rule. It's all about him leading his creation and us submitting to his authority. The dangers come time and time again when we make it about us, when we get selfish. The root issue is always selfishness. The root issue in terms of the injustices that we see or the problems we see around climate change are always down to selfishness, looking after after number one and trying to play God. The reason creation has so often been damaged is because it comes about us. In the Old Testament, the land was split up and divided into different sections. And it wasn't their land. They were just called to steward it and look after it. They each had different sections. But the landlord was God. And they were accountable to him. Not to be selfish and steal from others. Not to be selfish and care about others. But to look after what God has given them. But there's also something very important here. There was enough creation. There was enough resource for everyone to be happy. For everyone to be fulfilled and accountable to the landlord, which is God. It wasn't theirs. They were accountable for God. There was enough for everyone. We're called throughout scripture to love our neighbor. And this surely includes our global neighbor as well as our local neighbor. The root issue is selfishness. When we start to think that it's about our creation and we can do what we want and not care about our neighbors abroad, then that's where the issue arises. I think we should get angry when people damage creation. I think we should get angry where people abuse creation or drop litter or don't treat the creation or well or kind of don't mistreat animals, whatever it is. I think we should get angry with that. But I think we should get really angry when a brother or sister who's made in the image of God is not looked after. When we don't love them and we don't care for them and we don't honor them, that's when we should get really angry. When there's injustices where people around the world, brothers and sisters, are ill-treated, who are made in the image of God and not treated fairly, I think that's where we should get angry. That's where we should be on our knees praying and seeking God's heart. When we buy bananas that aren't fair trade, we recognize that 80% of that money goes to supermarkets. And subsequently, the people out there farming bananas uh, 
engaging with pesticides that leads to significant infertility, pesticides that can really damage the health and kill them, and our cheap bananas are costing our brothers and sisters elsewhere. Well, they reckon that the impact on the environment in Delhi means that every day they're breathing in the equivalent of 44 cigarettes because of the poor air quality that comes from the global crisis we're in. We're called to love our neighbor and we're called to fight injustice. We're called to care for one another. We're called to look out for our neighbor here and abroad. And as we do this, this is all signs of the kingdom of earth as it is in heaven. All of this is allowing us to understand that Jesus is at the center of history. He's at the center of his creation. You see, 2,000 years ago, he came to earth and he lived, died, and rose again for you and I. He came to have a relationship with us. He came to offer us eternal life. He came to offer us forgiveness for our sins. He came to have a relationship with you and I. The creator came to his creation, and he showed us how to live. He showed us how to love our neighbor. He came to inaugurate his kingdom. He came to say that there should be no more injustice. He said that you are here to be my stewards here on earth, to care for my creation. But what's interesting is in this passage is that back to the Genesis passage, we see that there's, on day seven, there's no night and day. Every other part of scripture, it finishes by saying, and then there was night and then was day, but not in day seven. Because in this poetic language, One, that God is on about renewing, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the key thing is in the Greek culture, there's the Greek language, there's different words for renewal. And in this renewal, it means basically it's bringing new things, it's restoring the creation. It's not starting again, it's not throwing it away, it's restoring it. So Jesus, who created the world, who brought it into being, who came to life in the form of Jesus to show us how to live, is one day going to be in eternity with us, walking alongside us. And that matters because we're here to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We partner with God to bring about his kingdom, his advance. And there's a paradox here because... On one hand, we have a responsibility to work with him, to partner with him, to steward his creation, to do what we can to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth, but also realize it's a now and not yet. But ultimately, he is in complete control, and he'll fully restore the creation one day. But it changes how we view creation now. It changes our responsibility now, because we have a responsibility to help bring about the renewal of this creation our job is to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, to fight injustice, to care for creation, to worship God for eternity, to look at his creation and allow it to lead us to worship, to serve him and understand that actually all of this leads us to seeing the kingdom of God advance. One of the challenges around this discussion, this dialogue, in church circles is it can be a distraction from evangelism it can be a distraction from sharing the good news and absolutely I think we're 100% called to share the good news we're called to share it in word and deed but I was thinking back to Mike Frost's book which many of you have read and it's called Surprise the World where basically there was two groups of people there was one group of people who were told to go and share Jesus as often as they could in that week and the other group were told to bless others and to care for others and to be generous to them the people in the latter category who were just showing good works had 50 times more opportunities to share Jesus than the people who were just going out to share Jesus. 
Absolutely, we need to proclaim the good news. Absolutely, we need to share our testimony and share the story of the incredible hope we have in Jesus that he came to earth to live, to die, and rise again for you and I. But we also have a responsibility to actually, frankly, catch up with society and to show a different way and to show that we care more than anyone for the creator's creation here on earth. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to hand back to Adele. Father, we are aware that as humans, fallen humans, we have, whether we like to admit it or not, we have sinned. In numerous ways we have sinned, and we are so grateful that we come to you individually and as a church aware that regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we said, regardless of how much we've screwed up, you love us, you care for us, you lived and died and rose again for me, for everyone here this morning. And there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's no guilt or condemnation because of you. But equally where you're calling us to steward better your creation, to care more for this beautiful world that you've allowed us to live within, we pray in Jesus' powerful name that we would take seriously our responsibility, that we would be people of worship in and through your creation, people who know that we're created in your image, People who care for one another, love our neighbor, or aren't self selfish. People who fight injustice. And where it's complex, where we can feel overwhelmed, we pray what, that we would know what simple steps to take individually and as a church family. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.